Uh, if, you, if you haven't been with us um, these last few weeks, um, we're glad you're here. We've been going through this series. This is our third um, week of a three-part series um, called I See Things Upside Down. As we are going through the Advent, as we just read our, our Advent reading this morning, Advent just simply means coming or arrival. We celebrate Jesus arriving on planet Earth to rescue us from darkness. And um, what we've been looking at is as believers, you and I, we need to have our vision flipped upside down. The way we often see the world is the opposite of how God sees the world, that we need to see it the way God sees it. The first week, we, we looked at one of the things that we need to flip upside down is our expectations of the coming Messiah. That Israel, they had these expectations of a Jesus, of a deliverer that was going to come was going to annihilate all of their enemies around them. And that that he was going to come, they expected him to be in this palace with a silver spoon, this man of of, of great um, wealth and fame. That's not the Jesus that came. The Jesus that came came in a manger, ready to die on a cross. And the enemy that he was first and foremost concerned with defeating was the enemy within us, not around us to defeat sin and death. And the second week we saw what well, other thing we need to flip upside down is our expectations of the promises made to us that oftentimes we don't marvel that we don't rest in the promises that God has made to us sometimes because we don't know those promises we're not even aware that they exist Or sometimes we do know those promises, but we've convinced ourselves that we don't need those promises because we think we got this on our own. And this week, what we want to look at is that we need to flip upside down how we see the way God takes this good news of a baby in a manger, how he does it and who he uses to proclaim this good news to the rest of planet Earth. If you look with me in Luke chapter 2, we know this story. The verses will be on the screen. We looked at the first seven verses last week. We're going to look at 8 through 15 this week. And there were shepherds, this is the new international version, there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified just like you and I would probably be terrified in that situation. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You'll find a baby wrapped in cloths, lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. Now, first thing I want to point out in this text, the only group that makes sense in this story, like if you and I were going to, you know, we're going to do some casting for this little group, this story, the only, group, the only group that really makes sense here that we would cast would be these angels. Like, you know, if, if we're talking about heaven, 
kissing earth, the, the word being made flesh, light into the darkness, God with us. The angels are the only ones that make sense here. Mary and Joseph, some broke peasants from Galilee, that doesn't make sense. It doesn't seem like they should be in this play. And the shepherds? Let me tell you a little bit about these shepherds. In this period of time, these shepherds, they're nomads, which means they travel around with their sheep. Now, because of their job working with these dirty sheep all day, they were seen as ceremonially, ceremonially unclean, which according to Jewish law was a big stinking deal. Okay? And because they were traveling around with these sheep for weeks at a time, they were unable to go to the temple to be cleansed. And so they were seen as sort of these dirty, um, unclean people to the rest of society. On top of that, they were, they were almost universally known as thieves. Kind of seen as the, the shadiest of the shady. Like they're the ones like nobody trusts. Like if they were at the airport security line and TSA randomly pulls them aside to check them out, right? That's the kind of people that the shepherds are. They are not respected. They are, in fact, despised and even rejected by much of society at the time. So put that, hide that away. We'll, we'll come back to that in a second. Now, so that we can understand what's going on here, we need to understand that it, it was very commonplace in first century AD to hire a herald. And what a herald does is they announce, when we sing, hark the herald angels sing, a herald is one who announces something. Now, it was very common to hire a herald to announce your firstborn son, okay? Now, this is the culture at the time. I'm not being sexist. I'm just, don't shoot the messenger. It was firstborn son, not firstborn daughter. It wasn't lastborn son, it was firstborn son. And the reason that they were so proud of specifically the firstborn son was because they were seen as one who could keep the family line intact. Lineage was very important to Jewish people in first century AD. Now, we do, I mean, culturally, we have a little bit of this today, right? Like, we want to, like, like we want to keep the Frank Kino name alive, right? Strong, it's Italian, it's who we are. Now, right now, my brother's back hurts from carrying this, for us. I, he's doing a lot more in this department than I am. Um, so we have Ray now, so we at least have one more generation of Frankinos, which is good. Um, but it was viewed that God was blessing your family when he gave you a firstborn son. So it was a, it was a big deal. So when that firstborn was born, they would hire this herald um, according to the funds that that family had. So the more money you had, the better herald you could hire. So like today, you know, if you were really rich, you could take your baby's face and plaster it on a billboard in Times Square, or I don't know, have Oprah announce it, I don't know, whatever. Um, if you're not very well off, maybe all you can do is post it on Facebook and hope you get some likes, right? So de depending on, on how much money you have, it would be how good of a herald you could get. Now, remember, Mary and Joseph, they are flat broke. They had nothing. Not only that, they're not even in their hometown. They're in a foreign place. They're hiding out in some cave. So how in the world are they going to get somebody to announce to the world that they have a firstborn son? But then we remember, this isn't just Mary and Joseph's firstborn son. This is the only begotten son of God. And so he provides a herald for them. And I kind of picture this scene in heaven 
these angels all lining up in a row, you know, kind of fixing their hair, adjusting their halos, <clears throat> clearing their throats. And the first one breaks through the dark sky and announces the coming of the firstborn Son of God. And now I want you to put yourself in the shoes of these shady, thieving shepherds, okay? So here come these, these angels to announce, to herald the good news. Now, what do you think happens in the minds of these shepherds when God's angels, it says a heavenly host, it literally means an army of angels appears in the sky, Okay, if you're one of these shady shepherds, you're hiding behind a rock, right? You're smoking your meth pipe. You got a, you know, bottle of, of you know, a paper bag. You're divvying up your stolen goods with your other shepherd buddies. And here comes God's army of angels. Like, are you expecting something good, right? No, you're expecting busted, right? Gotcha. But what do they say? They shout from the heavens, good news. If you're that shepherd, you're hiding behind the, the rock with your sticky finger discounts and your drug paraphernalia. You're like, what? What? Nothing going on here, right? Nothing to see? You know, how you, how you doing, army of angels? And the sky explodes, and here's this den of thieves, these social outcasts, and the angel says to them, don't be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy for all the people. See, the Bible says that God did not send Jesus into the world to condemn the world. He sent Jesus into the world to save the world from its sins. So the, God cracks this sky open, and the angel says, don't be, there's no reason to be afraid. There's no reason to hide. A child has been born in Bethlehem. Go find him. He's the one in a manger. Now, we talk about kingdom economics. We brought this up last week, kind of how this, the system, how God's system works. Now, we have a way of doing things that accord economically would be wise and right and good, okay? And I want you to imagine um, you're building a team, a business, okay? You're going to build this business. You're going to put this team around you. Um, we have a way of doing things that the world would call wise. God looks at that, and he does it the exact opposite way in order to bring glory to himself. And here's what I mean. So you're, you're putting this team together, right? Going to get this squad together, be the best business in all of Kenai or Soldatna. Now, how are you going to do that? How are you going to build this team? What principles are you going to use when you're adding staff to this team? I'll tell you what you're not going to do. You're not going to look for somebody, like you find a guy like, oh, this guy, very shady businessman, you know, he's been known to steal, and, and he's actually was in prison for a while for embezzlement. Hey, why don't you come and manage our accounts, right? You're perfect. Welcome aboard, right? We are not looking for people of ill repute. That's not how we would build our team. That's not how we plan on building our team here at Peninsula Grace. Like, give me the worst people in society, and they will be receiving cards from Jacob next year at staff time, right? Any businessman, any good entrepreneur or businesswoman would not build that way. You're going to look for sharp, gifted people who add value to your business, right? Yes. The answer is yes. No one is in the business world is looking for just like an incompetent moron, right? You see somebody, look, he's struggling to zip his pants up. Why don't you be our president, right? You look perfect for the job. No, that's not how it would work. 
Yet Jesus' team, the one that God's putting together, it flies right in the face of all of these sound economic principles. Joseph, a broke carpenter. Mary, a pregnant teenager. These shepherds, shady, shady McShadertons. And God says, yes, 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 that's my team. And here's why I don't freak out at this. We shouldn't freak out. Like, God, what are you doing? Like, why are you choosing these people? Here's why we can rest in this truth. God brings glory to himself by being the authority, the power, and the presence by which all purposes of his are accomplished. And that's why Paul says, He says, we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. You and I are fragile, broken clay pots, and God is the treasure that is within us. See, and and you and I are shown to be very, very fragile so that he can be shown to be very, very strong. You and I are shown to be very, very foolish so that he can be shown to be wise. We're just of some flash in the pan. He is eternal. We are weary. He never rests. We need food every single day. He is our sustenance, the bread of life. We lose patience. He is long-suffering. He forgives. He never gives up on us. And we actually see this threaded through the Bible, don't we? Like, in fact, if anything, when God's choosing people throughout the story of the Bible, sometimes super strength can actually disqualify you from what God is trying to do. You remember the story of Gideon? Like, God looks, he says, Gideon, you're going to go to battle. First thing I want you to do is get rid of 10,000 of your best fighting men. Send them home. That is not good war tactic. And then, and then he looks around and he goes, well, you know what? It looks like you could still stand a chance. And I want you to send even more men home. So he keeps sending men away until he's down to 300 men. He goes, now, I got 300 men versus tens of thousands of men on the other side. Game on. He said, Gideon, I want you to be clear that if it's not for me and my power in your life, you will die. You will lose this war. And we know the outcome. He glorifies himself through the weakness of man. So what does this mean for you and I? It should mean gladness of heart. Because God redeemed and rescued you and I. Because in in this story, we are the shepherds. We are the shepherds. Now, Now here's where it gets interesting. We start to say, well, we're not... Not, I'm not as bad as the shepherd, right? I'm a bad person. Like, I'm not a perfect person, but I'm, I'm certainly not as bad as like this other guy over here. Have you seen what this guy's up to? And, and we often kind of play this game. We are never going to rejoice in the good news if we don't understand our need for it. If we don't see how bad we are, then, then what do we need to be saved from? But as we start to apply God's standard, it's not about being the best person in your neighborhood. It's about measuring up to God's holy standards. And as we start to compare ourselves with God's standards, we find ourselves coming up short. Like, I want to know, we'll admit to lying, right? Like, who in here has told a lie before? Raise your hand if you told a lie. 
Okay, and for those of you that are not, like George is shaking his head, you, you can now join us because you're lying right now, right? <laughs> Where's that marshmallow? I, we've all told lies. We're kind of comfortable admitting we've lied. But what if I was to say, Josiah, you're a liar. See, his eyebrows went up, and he's like, do you realize how much taller I am than you? Like, don't. <laughs> See, we're, we're comfortable saying that we lie. You're not, nobody would want to be called a liar. I'm not a liar. Who you, shut your mouth. Like, so I'm cool with being a liar, but lying, but not being called a liar. But see, that's because we lie. We, we, we are liars, and then therefore we lie. We have to own that. In the same way, we have to admit we have anger. There's times when we get angry, right? We go through the same thing. Anybody here been angry? And you raise your hand. I have anger and rage in my heart. Well, God says, if you hate someone in your heart, you're not just a hater. You're a murderer. And if there's ever been something in your life that you have loved or cherished or pursued more than you've loved and cherished and pursued God, God's law says you not just have committed idolatry, you are an idolater. You are a blasphemer of God's name and God's character. If you've looked at somebody with lust in your heart, and for some of us, that lust is physical and it's sexual. For some of us, it's romantic and it's relational. But we all have lust in our hearts. He says, you have not just committed adultery in your heart. You are an adulterer. And we continue to go down the list And we find that we fall short. I fail. You fail. We are not just doing wicked things. We are wicked. And the angel shows up and says, you don't have to hide behind the rock. You don't have to be afraid. Because I bring you good news. Great joy. Don't come to condemn. You come to save. And some of us are on the other end of that, and we very much feel how wicked we are. And we, and we have this huge burden of guilt and shame in our lives, and we don't even feel like we can approach God because he could never save that. There's good news for you, too. And, and it's fascinating to see what the shepherds do with this message that they've been given. We continue in Luke 2. Verse 15, when the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in a manger. When they had seen him, when they encountered God in the flesh, look at what they did. They spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. So the angels leave, and the shepherds, after probably putting some banaca on their alcoholic breath, they say, let's go check this out. Let's go, and to be fair, if an army of angels, like, announces something to you, like, you probably want to go look into this. You're like, nah, we'll see what's going on the rest of the evening, see what's on my DVR, and then we'll see if I want to go check this out, right? They, they go, and I, and I kind of picture them wandering throughout Bethlehem, like, searching mangers. Oh, there's, no, 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 oh, there's the Son of God. And as they 
peruse the town and they, and they come and, and they find the baby, I imagine this, this incredibly bizarre scene of these dirty shepherds gathering around this infant and their parents worshiping, worshiping. And the story goes that they, these dirty, thieving, shady shepherds, they become the next heralds of this good news. These men are whom God chooses to be the world's first evangelists. And and the amazing thing here is that these thieves were given this good news in the midst of their thievery and their shadiness. It was not, we're coming, clean up your act, and then I will give you the good news. It was in the midst of your dirtiness, I bring you glad tidings of great joy. Now, as we said, you and I fulfill this role of the shepherds, sinners saved by grace in the midst of our sinfulness. And in our homes, in our neighborhoods, our workplaces, we become these heralds of good news. Now, anyone who's gone to church for any period of time says, well, yeah, you know, I, this is not news to me. I've heard this a million times. We're supposed to go tell people about Jesus. I got it. You've heard it. I've heard it. And that's exactly, precisely why we need to do something about the fact that we know this so well, and yet we so seldom do it. Like, it's a struggle, isn't it? It's a struggle to be a herald of this good news. It's a struggle to, to, to tell people about Jesus, to preach this gospel. And I think there's two main reasons, um, that, two main things that keep us from actively sharing our faith. Uh, the first one is, we've bought into this lie that we need to have all of the answers before we can ever open our mouths. Um, but we don't want to share with somebody because we think, well, man, what if they ask me a question that, that I can't answer? Like, what if they bring up a question about science? Like, I don't know anything about science, right? And what is, you know, what about the six-day, you know, creation? Is that, is that literal? And, and, and what about evolution and how that plays in? And, you know, how about the, how we got the Bible and kind of the authenticity of Scripture and comparing it to other world religions? Like, I don't know this stuff. I'm just kind of an everyday, run-of-the-mill believer. And it paralyzes us because we feel like we don't know enough. Now, a moment of boldness here. I want you to raise your hand if you feel like that. I can't share my faith because I don't feel like I have all the answers. Is that you? Is that you? I see a couple. All right, you can look around and know that. And guess what? My hand's up as well. Because even as a preacher, there's often times where I feel like I don't have all the answers to all of these questions. And it makes us feel like we're not qualified to share. But here's how I would encourage you. There is a place for apologetics and, and for answering some of these questions about science and historicity and all this stuff. But answering those questions, they, it removes hurdles. It does not save souls. You know who I think makes the best evangelists? It's not the seminary grad who's fresh out of Bible school, memorized the Greek, sitting on a mountain of commentaries. No, I think it's the filthy sinner who was recently saved and says, look, like I can't explain it all. I can't. There's a lot of things that that I don't know still. But what I do know is God has done something profound in my life and I am not the same. And Jesus came in 
and he saved me, and you need to have a drink of what I'm drinking. He doesn't need you to answer all the questions. So when you say, well, what happens when I am asked these questions? It's a great opportunity for something to happen. You ready for this? When someone said, asks you a question and you don't know the answer, this is what you say to them. I don't know. I don't know. Like, try it. It's, it's, first of all, it's honest. And second of all, it's awesome. Where it's just to take that burden off. I don't have all the answers. I don't have it all figured out. Because if you don't know, but you are, aren't saying that you don't know, what you're really saying is that I can be smart enough to save this person. That's really what we're saying. But the reality is our ability to answer questions will never, never save someone. Paul said the power of salvation is the gospel. It's the good news of what Jesus has done and who Jesus is, not our ability to explain it. We are just the fragile jars. The treasure is what's inside of us. And so when we get asked a question, we don't know. We just simply say, I don't know. And, and here's the good news. We have the opportunity to go and study and learn. And we take that person and say, let's dig into this. There, there are some questions that God has, I mean, God has not revealed everything to us about himself in his word or in creation. There are some things we'll never have the answers to, but the good news is there are answers. Like, we are not entering into some blind faith. This is the truth, and it, it will stand the test against science against archaeology, against history, against philosophy. And we can, we can bank on the fact that what we believe is true, and there are answers, but we don't have to know them all now. The second reason, and I think probably even the more common reason that we oftentimes don't want to share, is simply because we, we've still kind of bought into this idea of trying to be cool. Now, I don't even know what it means to be cool, um, clearly, um, but we all want to be it. Like in, 11, like in 11th grade, being cool meant that I dyed my hair blonde, um, really turned out to be this kind of rusty orange color, um, that I wore these really cool puffy vests. Now looking back, it's like, wow, that's so out of style. Um, and, and what being cool got me was sitting at a certain lunch table. I was a part of the team that was distributing wedgies at lunchtime. Yes, even as a junior in high school, I was giving wedgies. Some of us grow up faster than others. Um, but as an adult, like, I don't really know what being cool gets me. Um, and I do think it's natural to want to be liked and accepted, but we need to be careful not to become a slave um, to that and, and to sell out your deepest held beliefs just simply for the approval of others. You might say, well, I don't want it to be weird between me and this person that I know, my coworker or my friend or my family member. Like, I don't want to share something about my faith with them and then go, oh, you're one of those Jesus freaks, like, and then they, they get weirded out by you. Well, here's the deal. Just don't make it weird. It doesn't have to be weird. There's, there's a couple really kind of very simple, very practical ways that we can share our faith in a non-offensive way. Here's one. You simply say, hey, how can I pray for you? Like, how can I pray for you? God put, me, God put you on my mind today, and I was just thinking about you, and I was just wondering how I could pray for you. Um, even the, those who are the most adamantly opposed to the gospel, like, I've never found someone who's been offended by this. Like, how dare you think of me? Like, why are you caring about me, and you want to pray for me? People are willing to share what's going on in their lives with somebody who asks. 
And, and the cool thing is this also starts up dialogue for later. Hey, man, how is your marriage going? Like, how, how's your son? Is, is he sobered up yet? How, how's your father? You know, you said he was sick. And opens the door for a relationship. Another easy one um, is to say, hey, why don't you come over to my place to eat? My wife will cook something for us, right? <laughs> I'll make something. Um, now, but don't, like, when you do that, invite somebody over. Don't be, like, crouching behind the door with, like, a life-size KJV, right, to attack them, right, and smack them over the head, force-feed them the bread and the wine, right? Like, hey, we're going to sit down, we're going to have a burger, but before, would you just bow your head and repeat after me, right? And we got all these weird things. No, just, hey, come on over, let's eat, let's talk, enjoy a good meal and a good laugh, and it opens the door. Let's make it even more practical here. Um, If you're taking notes, good. I like you more than those who aren't. No, that's not true. That's not true. Um, I love you all the same. Um, Grab your bulletin, or maybe you have a smartphone, um, you know, on your notes app, your iPhone, or Android devices. Um, Or you can even just keep this in your mind. It won't be a lot. Um, here's, Here's how I would encourage us in this Christmas season as we go into 2016. I want us to be actively praying for people in our lives, um, specifically people who don't know Jesus, to be praying for them and opportunities to share the gospel with them. So on your notes, on your phone, in your mind, um, I want you to write down three people that you can pray for. And you can do this later if you don't have any tools right now. Three people um, that you know, that you are in relation with, um, neighbor, a friend, a co-worker, a family member, um, and, and, and you know what, Lord, the Lord will bring people to mind, maybe it won't be right now. I'm thinking of three people in particular, and some in this room may already, you know, have people in their mind that they're praying for. And here's the commitment. For, for the year, this coming year, 2016, I want us to commit to pray for these three specific people every day. Every day. Daily praying for these people. If we do that, this, this congregation, that's almost 500 people that are going to be being prayed for in this community for the sake of the gospel. And, and, and specifically to pray that God would open their hearts and their minds, their understanding, uh, to believe his good news. And to pray for opportunities to share with them. To pray for them, um, to invite them over for a meal, uh, to speak to them. And then, as you're praying, we, we open our eyes to look for opportunities. If we're praying for opportunities, Paul prayed for that in Colossians 4. He said, I pray that a door would be open, and when it's open, that I would have the boldness and that God would give me the words to say in those moments. And I believe as we actively pray, and, I, and I've seen this in my own life, um, that w- our minds will become more engaged and more likely to speak with these specific people and to share with them the good news. Uh, just as the angels came to those thieving shepherds in the midst of their thievery, God comes to us in the midst of our sinfulness, not to condemn us, but to save us. And and just in the same manner, we go out into this world to be heralds of this good news that the firstborn son has come into this world and he brings good news for the joy of everyone. Let's pray. Father, I thank you you came down to us, that we, none of us in this room can live up to your holy standards. We all fall short. We are adulterers. We are liars. We are murderers. We are idolaters, blasphemers of your name. We are wicked, wicked people.
But Father, you did not make us that to come to you by cleaning up our act because we can't. There's, there's nothing we can do to make ourselves acceptable in your sight. So instead, and as we think of it this Christmas season, you came down to us, God in the form of an infant child. That you broke heaven's silence, you came into the world, light into darkness, not to condemn us, not to point out how awful we are, how sinful we are, how much we've fallen short, but you came to save us, to rescue us, and to make for yourself a new family. Father, I pray that we would live in light of that grace that you've given us, the son that you've given us, and I pray that as we are overflowing with the joy that comes from knowing that good news, that we are yours, that we are loved, that we are accepted in your son, that over the overflow of that, we would go into this world not like, oh man, it's my duty, I have to go share, I have to evangelize, but that I mean, the thing that we are most excited about, knowing you, would be on the tip of our tongue, at the edge of our lips, and that the way that we live and the words that we say would echo your mercy and grace to the world around us. May we be faithful to pray for and look for opportunities to live and speak the truth to these people that you put on our minds this year. And that we would see your kingdom grow, your family grow, for your glory and for our peace and our good. Thank you, Father, for your son. And it's in his name that we pray these things. Amen.